means they're very conservative about welcoming in travelers from other places, uh, even places with low numbers of cases. They didn't want to implement a bubble, so they didn't want to offer reciprocity. And Singapore is a good example where they reduced the quarantine requirement for people who had been in Taiwan, uh, say, 14 days prior when they get to Singapore. They only had a quarantine for two days, but uh, Taiwan didn't want to implement uh, something mm. reciprocal, so it became a unilateral decision by the Singapore government to offer to people who had been in Taiwan uh, and had a negative test. Uh, so the authorities here are going to have to take some risk, uh, because as we talked about earlier in the conversation, there sometimes are people that slip through, uh, not because of nefarious intentions, but uh, tests are wrong, etc. Uh, mm -hmm. So uh, when we get enough vaccinations, there's still going to be this element of negotiation with other countries and being comfortable with the vaccination process in other countries, and ultimately accepting the documentation, whether it's paper documentation or something in the app form on people's mobile phone that uh, people have been vaccinated uh, by uh, other governments. And now we're going to get into something political. And this is also a big risk for Taiwan, uh, because some countries might take the view that uh, we're not going to enter into any kind of reciprocal agreement uh, to accept vaccination documentation with Taiwan until we do that first with China and Hong Kong. So that, that's also a very, very significant risk for Taiwan as far as establishing reciprocal travel agreements uh, with other countries. Thanks very much, Ross. That's Ross Feingold, Business Development Director at SafePro Group in Taipei. You're listening to Money Talk on RTHK Radio 3. Just a reminder that Japanese markets are closed today for Showa Day holiday, but uh, they are open down in Australia where the ASX 200 is flat. Looks like there's going to be a small rise for the Hang Seng at the open of about 0.1%. In the commodities markets, gold is a little bit firmer at $1,785 an ounce. And Brent crude oil is trading at $67.23 a barrel. Do please join me again tomorrow morning at 8 o'clock for Money Talk. Stay tuned for Back Chat with Hugh Chiverton and Nixie Lamb. The weather forecast for today, mainly cloudy, one or two rain patches at first. Sunny intervals during the day and a maximum temperature of about 28 degrees. The outlook, mainly fine and hot during the day in the next couple of days. And the temperature right now is 22 degrees. It's 78% relative humidity. It's 8.32. Here's Samantha Butler with the half-hour news. Veteran Democrat and former journalist Emily Lau says the government needs to reassure the public that an immigration bill passed by lawmakers yesterday won't be used to prevent people leaving Hong Kong. The bill targets illegal immigrants and gives authorities the power to decide which passenger or crew member may or may not be carried. Yesterday, the government said it would only apply to inbound flights and it would draft subsidiary legislation specifying this. Ms Lau questioned why authorities didn't make it clear in the principal legislation. And, and many people are preparing to leave with their BNO visa, and they fear, rightly or wrongly, that may, they may be stopped from leaving. So some people may say, oh, what a joke, why are you saying that? But others have such genuine fear. And this is the thing that Carrie Lam should spend her time to deal with instead of telling people how good the election committee is. Xinhua News Agency says a man wielding a knife killed two children and wounded 16 people at a kindergarten in the southwestern region of Guangxi yesterday. It had earlier reported that two children had been seriously injured in the attack at around 2 p.m. in the city of Beilu. The conditions of the 16 wounded were improving. A suspect was arrested by police. The Federal Reserve says economic activity and employment in the United States have strengthened, but not enough for it to change its current measures to encourage economic recovery. Here's the BBC's Andrew Walker. 
The Federal Reserve's view of the US economy seems somewhat more upbeat than at its previous meeting last month. Its statement refers to progress on vaccinations and strong policy support, which is a reference to spending measures taken by the administration of President Biden. But it was not enough to persuade the Fed to change its policy. Last year, it responded to the pandemic by cutting its main interest rate to almost zero and by restarting the programme known as quantitative easing, buying financial assets with newly created money. Those policies remain in place. You're listening to the news on RTHK. Good morning. Welcome to Backchat. I'm Hugh Chiverton, your co-host today. Nixie Lam. Nixie, good morning to you. Good morning. Today we're talking about latest developments in COVID-19 in Hong Kong and the Chief Executive's new TV programme. Hong Kong and Singapore announced on Monday that a long-awaited travel bubble will start on May the 26th at the earliest, following the easing of the coronavirus situation in the two places. What do you think of the pros and cons of that scheme? And from today, local bars will be allowed to reopen. Restaurants can operate longer and seat more people at a table as long as they follow a series of new requirements set out by the government. There are multiple scenarios for venues to operate under, depending on whether staff have been vaccinated, whether customers have been vaccinated, how many doses people have had, whether workers are getting COVID uh, tests, who's living the Leave Home Safe app, and whether clean and dirty zones have been set up. Is this the best, the cautious way to open up? And as more and more people have been vaccinated, I think some 1.35 million people now have had injections, uh, is there any possibility to relax quarantine arrangements? Let us know your thoughts. You can leave your comments on our Facebook page, that's Backchat and RTHK Radio 3. You can email backchat at rthk.hk. We'll do our best to read out your comments. Or you can call us on 233 That's 233-88266. And after 9.15, we're going to be discussing that uh, new programme from the Chief Executive, Getting uh, sorry, Get to Know the Election Committee Subsectors. Chip Cho will be joining us um, for that. Backchat at rthk.hk. Once again, is our email address. We're joined now by uh, Professor Benjamin Cowling, Head of the Division of Epidemiology and Biostatistics at the School of Public Health at the University of Hong Kong. Benjamin Cowling uh, will be with us until 9 o'clock this morning. If you've got a a specific uh, question uh, for him or or a comment, uh, please get it in uh, well before 9. Your best bet really is to uh, pick up the phone and call us, 233-88266, and then you can talk uh, directly to Professor Cowling if you want to do it. Others will be joining us, uh, a medical doctor uh, shortly, uh, and also a tourist specialist uh, after the news at nine. Uh, Professor Cowling, good morning to you. Good morning. Uh, thanks very much indeed for joining us. Uh, let's talk about that, that uh, travel bubble uh, for uh, a start. Um, there has been sort of um, some concern expressed over the fact that uh, uh, travellers to Singapore from Hong Kong uh, will have to be vaccinated, uh, but the same doesn't apply the other way around. Travellers from Singapore won't have to be vaccinated coming to Hong Kong. Are you concerned about that? I'm not particularly concerned. I think either way, so for Hong Kong to Singapore and, and vice versa, there's very low risk in both locations. We're almost at zero cases. They're almost at zero cases. So people coming here from Singapore or not they're vaccinated, it's a very, very low risk to Hong Kong. And the same to Singapore from, for people coming from Hong Kong. I think the vaccination requirement may be set by the government here as a, as a way to encourage people to get vaccination, not because it's a requirement of that kind of travel bubble. Would you be happy being on a plane, um, knowing that not everyone there has been vaccinated? Wouldn't you, if you just knew for a fact that everyone had been vaccinated, that would be a big assurance, wouldn't it? 
Oh, the planes are pretty safe, actually. Planes mm. are much safer than, than restaurants and bars and karaoke parlours. Uh, the ventilation on planes is excellent. And in the past year, there's been very few, not zero, but very few reported outbreaks on planes. I think the, the flight that came here from India was maybe one of the exceptions where there seemed to be a lot of people infected. But I would say it's not clear whether infections happened on the plane, before boarding, after disembarkation or, or somewhere else. Um, so planes actually, for example, that's not, that's not a concern. I think in public health terms, we'll be concerned about whether infections are going from one place to another. But since in Hong Kong, we're nearly at zero. In Singapore, they're nearly at zero. There's really a minimal risk of that. It seems that people are quite concerned about like the new virus, like the the the, 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 the new virus and and the risk. So, do you think it, like this travel bubble can can make a loophole for them to come in at all? I, I don't think it would pose a major risk to us. I think mm-hmm. there's a much bigger risk of those variants coming in from somewhere else, right. not from Singapore, where. There's no known circulation of any of those variants in Hong Kong. We had a couple of those local cases with one of the variants, but mm-hmm. it seems to have gone away, thankfully. So I, I don't think the travel bubble itself poses a major risk. There will be risk for those variants to get into Hong Kong at some time in the future, but I don't think it would be through this travel bubble. I think there's like like a 14 days ban from all those like high risk regions. Do you, do you foresee them to continue this ban at all? There's not a ban from all high-risk locations. So actually, the the UK Mm -hmm. variant is prevalent across all of Europe, Mm -hmm. but it's only the UK that that flights are banned from. Uh, The the other variants are prevalent in many other parts of the world, Mm -hmm. but there's only a few targeted locations that the flights have been banned from. So in Hong Kong, we have been detecting people coming in in quarantine and confirmed to be infected with those variants. Um, But but luckily, they, they haven't... Uh, been able to get into the community with with those couple of recent exceptions. Um, what's what's happening in, in India? Is it is it in terms of variants? Is it the new strain which is causing so much so many problems there? It's not clear. So mm. the, the situation in India can be explained just by the regular COVID virus that we've been dealing with for a year uh, being allowed to spread and being allowed to get out of control. Uh, because growth is exponential for, for, for COVID, for other infections, uh, it, what initially seems like a relatively small number of cases can very quickly balloon up into a large number. It doesn't go from 100 cases a week to 200 cases a week to 300 cases a week. It goes from 100 to 200 to 500 to 1,000 to 5,000 to 10,000. Okay. And so it can very, very quickly get to very large numbers. Having said that, in India, I think it could still continue to go up and up um, unless very drastic measures are put in place. So I, I'd be concerned uh, about the situation in India because their hospitals already seem to be on the verge of collapsing and there could be not only doublings but five, ten times more infections coming in the coming weeks. And why did you get that pattern? Why did they you know, have, a, have a, a, a small outbreak, relatively small outbreak it now appears, uh, and then it sort of, they, they thought it had gone away and then it suddenly it struck back. What happened? Yeah, I think we've, we've all seen that in the past year in, in Hong Kong. If you mm. remember going back to the beginning of the third wave, the beginning of the fourth wave, initially it seems like just a small number of cases that are all linked together, situation can be controlled, and then all of a sudden we got 100 cases a day. And if things hadn't been done, if social distancing measures hadn't been tightened, it would have gone up even further. So I think in India, maybe it was a, a lack of recognition of the danger posed by COVID. I know they had a lot of mass gatherings um, and maybe then slow action, because you also have to remember with COVID, uh, if you 
do something now. If you do something today, you won't see the effect of that for 10 days or even two weeks. Um, and if what you've just done hasn't been enough, then it, you're really going to be in trouble in two weeks' time. Mm. Uh, we're also joined now by Dr. Pam Pei Cho. Uh, he's a medical doctor, a psychiatrist, also f- uh, former vice president of the Hong Kong Federation of Trade Unions. Dr. Pan, good morning to you. Morning. Thanks so much yeah. indeed for, for joining us once again. Uh, one of the things that happening today then is, is that uh, uh, relaxation of rules on uh, bars and, and restaurants. It's pretty complicated, as I mentioned in the, in the introduction, the, uh, yeah. all, all the different levels and so on. Uh, what, yeah. what, what, do you, what do you make of that? What do you think of the pros and cons of that? Um, I think this is a possible, uh, I mean, a positive uh, uh, move, right? And uh, given that I think after, since the Easter and Qingming holidays, there hasn't been a, 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 a resurgence right, of uh, the, the COVID-19 uh, infection. So I think that uh, this this is, of course, right, due to the tight control and also the cooperation of our, say, uh, fellow Hong Kongers. So, uh, so in response to that, the government is able to relax the measures. And I think the, the measures, although they are quite complicated, but I think the, by and large they are sensible. And I think there's also... Uh, sort of, and there's an element of uh, uh, putting an incentive uh, to people getting vaccinated. So uh, I think these are uh, positive uh, measures. And what what do you think about the uh, the leave home safe app? Like a lot of people choose to fill in little little piece of paper, uh, uh-huh. on versus actually using the app. And uh, like, do you think is a is is a bad decision from the beginning to, to allow people to do that? Um, I think that, um, of course, I mean, it depends on, say, your perspective. Uh, of course, from the perspective of, say, controlling uh, a pandemic, this uh, sort of uh, leniency, right, or flexibility uh, is uh, is not really helping. But on the other hand, you have also have to consider the people's uh, sentiments, right? Uh, and there's still a lot of people who, who don't really trust the government, so they prefer to fill in a piece of paper to and give it to the to the restaurant staff uh, who they think they can trust. But on the other hand, a lot of people also they they don't think there's any problem with uh, say using the app. So people have different choices. So I think the government uh, has sort of uh, a divided system which allows this kind of. Uh, uh, discrepancy or difference in opinion, right? And by and large, it works, right? Uh, so, um, so given that we we don't have major outbreaks, so people who stick to the uh, old pattern of filling in a piece of paper, they can still uh, go to restaurants. They can still uh, the restaurants can still operate, but under the old restrictions, which I think is mm-hmm. fair, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, what, what about the you know some of these uh, uh, extra um, uh, liberties that will be given to uh, people who've had the, the vaccinations and uh, requirements for bar staff to be vaccinated and so on? There's controversy there. One, one of which is you know for people who who are uh, for medical reasons are unable mm-hmm. to to uh, get to, to be vaccinated or say they're unable to be vaccinated. And we've heard some doctors saying that the guidelines are not clear enough for them to be able to say definitively and write a note basically excusing people. What's your thoughts on that? Yes, I think that uh, given the, our knowledge about, uh, say, the vaccines, right, because these are quite new uh, things, right, uh, uh, they have only been in sort of in emergency use, right, so there, there's, there's some uncertainties about who uh, who is not suitable, really, mm-hmm. <laughs> for, for the vaccination. 
So there must be some uh, degree of uh, speculation or, say, uh, uh, say uh, criteria which were not really 100% based on evidence, but sort of uh, to be safe, right? Let's put it this way. Uh, so I think that there, people may argue about uh, these criteria, right? But I think that we have to to devise a system which works, right? Which accommodates people's uh, concerns about having a, a vaccine, right, being put into their body. Um, there are a lot of people who have this kind of concern, right? So if they have this concern, then uh, the system also allows them, right, to have uh, some reason for that. First of all, these people can they choose to work in a place where they, they, they don't need their staff to, to have vaccines. But on the other hand, if they choose to work in a place uh, which requires, right, uh, they, they can still, uh, say, get a medical certificate, right, and uh, give, give, reason, give a, a good reason for that, right. Uh, so if they have some medical illnesses which are sort of not under well control, then they may be given uh, an exemption, right, to have the vaccination, right. Maybe after some time they see more and more of their friends and colleagues having the vaccine and they are still walking around uh, quite safe or quite healthy, they may change their mind, right, and have the vaccine, right. So I, I agree with the government in this uh, sort of... Um, uh, uh, humanistic approach. Right? <laughs> <laughs> it seems like the uh, the a lot of people still are not willing to get vaccinated. I mean, I have friends like around my age that they're still like, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna travel yet, so I'm not gonna get any vaccinations soon. Like, what do okay. you think? Like, how can we encourage people to do that? Did you um, say there's no incentive whatsoever? <laughs> Now, we have to look at, uh, say, countries like uh, Israel, right, and mm. uh, the, the United Kingdom, right, where they have a very high vaccination rate. And uh, these people, uh, they have the same worries, right, about, say, having adverse effects, or they, they also have the same consideration, well, I'm not going out and I, yeah, yeah, I don't yeah. have a risk. But I think that the difference is that people in those countries they have a sense, right, of uh, responsibility to the state, to the to the fellow fellow countrymen, right? So we have so, no sense of responsibility, <laughs> no gone at all. <laughs> no, I, I think we have, but it, that needs time to build up, right? So, uh, so I think I, I think also in the UK they were just scared because yeah. they were because they, it was, it yeah, was so yeah. prevalent, it's and it's, it's so it's really very rare in Hong Kong, isn't it? Yeah. You've got that's a very right. low chance of infection. That's right. That's right. Yeah, yeah. So, <laughs> so uh, unless you had a big outbreak, you know, people yeah. might not be scared into it. Uh, we had uh, uh, Anna in an email says, if the government wants mass compliance with the vaccination program, how about offering an incentive, say $500 in cash <laughs> per jab? That's something that, I don't think it's going to work on my friends. <laughs> They're just not going to care. It's going to be more than that. Okay. Uh, um, <laughs> some more uh, emails. Okay. Uh, Andy says, uh, are COVID tests from the government's community testing program valid for flights from Hong Kong. Uh, Professor Cowling, do you know anything about that? You need to check where you're going and if there's any special requirements of the place you're going in terms of where you get tested. In Hong Kong, there's a list of uh, validated, approved test providers and the community testing should be on that list uh, as well as a lot of private providers, yeah. Yeah, I'm sure the community testing is uh, yeah. is valid. I think it's yeah. like 48 hours valid, uh, validity, okay, something yeah. like that. Uh, 
And uh, let's see, oh, there's a question about um, direct entry from the uh, UK. Uh, MT says, why continue with the direct entry ban from the UK? Does the government not realise people are going to a second country with higher uh, COVID-19 rates in the UK and then travelling to Hong Kong? This is illogical. That comes from, from uh, MT. <laughs> Professor Cowling, do you agree with that? Uh, it's, it's unfortunate that the, the three variants that we're concerned about are named the UK variant, the South Africa variant and the Brazil variant, mm. because that's led to a lot of places putting flight bans on those three countries mm. when actually the variants are prevalent around the world now. So as I said, the UK variant is prevalent across all of Europe. Mm. So, so the effect is, just to explain, so if you wanted to travel from the UK, you'd have to go to another country and stay there for three weeks. Uh, is that right, before you could come to Hong Kong? That's right, and you, you could stay in somewhere in France or Spain or Italy where the risk of getting infected with the UK variant could actually be higher. Any thoughts on that, uh, Pampe Chow? Um, I think that that, that, that is uh, not very reasonable, right? Uh, but uh, given that uh, the situation in the United Kingdom is improving, so I think that uh, the government uh, will, in due course, uh, reconsider the, the, the situation, right? So um, I think that that is not really uh, reasonable because. Uh, when this was put in place, there was uh, quite a major outbreak in the uh, in the UK, right? But now I think situation has changed, so I think the government should review the policies from time to time, right? right. So some more uh, questions and comments. Sorry, Anthony says, "Be a responsible citizen, get vaccinated." It's like wearing a mask. Just look at Europe, where people are so reluctant to wear a mask, and see how daunting is the infection rate. Um, uh, John says, question one, why do fully vaccinated people still have to use the Leave Home Safe app? Uh, second, do fully vaccinated people have to go to quarantine centres if they're in a close contact situation? Three, why do fully vaccinated people have to quarantine back in Hong Kong after returning back to Hong Kong from holidays? Uh, uh, Pampe Cho, do you want to address those? What, why do fully vaccinated people still have to use the Leave Home Safe, leave home safe app? <laughs> I think that uh, the, the reason is because I think for all the, the vaccines we have, right, uh, and also available in the, the other uh, major countries, uh, the, the protection right, against infection is not 100%. So theoretically, so uh, is theoretically, if you have, a, uh, say, uh, fully vaccinated, and you can still have a chance of contracting the virus, right? Uh, so this is the, the 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 situation that we are in. It's not 100% uh, safe, 100% uh, uh, infection proof. So that's why uh, to to play safe, right? We we need to have these people say uh, undergoing quarantine, right? So returning back to Hong Kong. Yeah, and being in a close contact situation. I guess the point would be that the, if the if the risk is reduced. Yeah. Uh, and that's the whole point of the of a vaccination, isn't it? Yeah. Then, then maybe yeah. that should be reflected in the in the quarantine arrangements. That that would be another advantage of having the vaccine would be that your quarantine would be shortened, perhaps. Um, I, I don't uh, I don't know how to solve the problem, but uh, from what the data we have um, up to uh, now, right, it seems that uh, all the major say the vaccines, right, they can't promise hundred percent protection. Uh, I mean, some of them have very good protection against serious infections. But on the other hand, even if someone who has, uh, say, subclinical or uh, mild infections, they can still be infectious. So that, that is the concern. Mm. 
Uh, okay, Jim says, why should I care about a stupid person that in a serious pandemic chooses not to protect themselves? Why should my tax funds be paid to such idiots as a bribe? That comes from Jim. Or Jim, because it because you're also involved in it, I guess. Um, uh, let's see. Uh, S says, please ask Professor Cowling about the 22 schools which were recently affected. What advice does he have? Professor Cowling? Affected with what, sorry? I don't know. Um, well, the <laughs> schools. Were they closed? Yes, yeah, some, some of the schools were like, like banned because of uh, some infections going on. Yeah, I, I think what we've seen in the past year, not just the past few weeks, but the past year, yeah. is quite a number of times uh, older children have got infected with COVID, have been confirmed as cases, often infected from family members or friends. Mm -hmm. uh, they've gone to school, and then as a consequence, the school has been closed, recently been subject to mass testing. There were even a couple of cases yeah, yeah. when students were sent to quarantine because of that. But I'm not aware of any large outbreaks in schools. There's been maybe a couple of cases where one child's passed to another, possibly at school, possibly outside school. But really, schools are, are very, very safe uh, with mm. the policies put in place. And I was surprised when children were sent to quarantine because of exposure in school, given that there hasn't been any evidence of transmission within schools. Uh, that's not to say it's been zero, but certainly very, very low risk. And, and putting children in quarantine is, uh, is quite a drastic step. And I actually heard from quite a bit of my parents' uh, friends. They mentioned about like um, their t a lot of the teachers are refusing to get vaccinated. Um, what do you think about these? Oh, I think teachers should get vaccinated. Actually, if we could go back to one of the earlier topics, I, I don't normally raise questions, mm. but the support was just expressed a moment ago for mandatory vaccination of yeah. uh, either restaurant staff or staff in bars. Mm -hmm. I would ask the question back. Mm -hmm. Does the other contributor support mandatory vaccination of healthcare workers? Mm -hmm. Because if we had a situation when a healthcare worker was infected with COVID, maybe unknowingly, and mm -hmm. passed it to the patients, that's a serious problem. Right. And I can imagine in other parts of the world in the coming 12 months, there will be places that decide to make COVID vaccination mandatory for healthcare workers. Right. And one of the options would, of course, be, as your contributor expressed, if healthcare workers don't like it, or people don't like the idea of mandatory vaccination, mm. they could always choose a different career. Um, even <laughs> though, of course, there's a lot of training required in people that go into the healthcare industry. Um, but, but since the opinion was expressed that vaccination should be mandatory for some groups of people, mm. should it also be mandatory for healthcare workers? Dr. Pan? Workers in the future, should it be mandatory for teachers? Dr. Pan? Uh, okay, I, I think that... Uh, so what, what happens is that uh, the, uh, I think in Hong Kong it's probably not very likely that uh, mandatory uh, vaccination will be implemented for, say, healthcare professionals. Uh, but on the other hand, I think that there's, uh, we have a recent development that they just uh, use uh, rapid testing, uh, say, periodic rapid testing right on healthcare workers. Uh, I know that, uh, say, the hospital authority is implementing that and also uh, in many private hospitals, they are also doing that. So uh, the test is very simple and can be uh, completed within 20 minutes, right? So you, you, give, uh, you get a result, right? So I think this will, will help, right, in the curbing, say, spread of, uh, say, infection uh, among healthcare workers. But then why, if that's adequate, then why not use that for bar staff or restaurant staff or teachers? I, I can't uh, explain that, but I think this has something to do with the cost, right? Because I think, uh, say, 
for the hospital authority, they they can probably set up uh, set aside some funds for that because uh, the testing kits, although they are not very very expensive, but still it's a it's a it's a cost, right? Uh, if say every say frontline workers have to to do the test. Okay. Uh, all right, uh, Professor Cowling, uh, a simple question for you from uh, Anthony, who says, can anyone tell me why COVID infections in Hong Kong are much lower than Singapore, the UK and the US? What's the answer? Uh, there's three very different places. In Singapore, actually, in their community, they've done better than Hong Kong, mm. but they've had enormous outbreaks in their dormitories for mm. migrant workers from other parts of Southeast Asia, where they all live in very close confines. Uh, lots of young adult workers... Mm-hmm. Many, many of them got COVID, tens of thousands, all very, very mild. I'm, I'm not sure if there were even any deaths in that group of people. So the number of COVID deaths in Singapore is actually lower than in Hong Kong in the community. Mm-hmm. Uh, in the UK and other parts of the world that were mentioned, they haven't managed to get COVID under control in the early days. And, and right now they're, they're fighting against a large number of infections in the community. They don't have all the tools at their disposal that we have in Hong Kong, like the contact tracing, the quarantine uh, mm-hmm. regulations and the public health infrastructure. So it's a, it's a different scenario. They've done as, as maybe as well as they could. Uh, if they'd responded a little bit quicker a year ago, they'd probably be in a better position now. But I don't think they would ever have been able to do as well as Hong Kong and Singapore have done because the infrastructure is just very different. Uh, OK, just a few more comments to finish off. Uh, Anthony says the UK and US are top of the COVID-infected countries, but why people just focus on India? Just check the data. Uh, he says in the UK, infections per million is over 64,000. Our death rates per one million is over 1,500. It's much higher than India. Uh, and uh, a listener who calls himself a member of the public called and said the schools are closed since last week because of upper respiratory infections instead of, of uh, COVID. Well, thank you very much indeed for that. And thank you very much indeed to, to our guests this morning, to uh, uh, Dr. Pam Cho, former Vice President of the Federation of Trade Unions, and Professor Benjamin Cowling from the University of uh, Hong Kong. We're going to be sort of travel-focused uh, after the news at uh, 9 o'clock and also talking about the new programme. From the Chief Executive, the weather mainly cloudy, a couple of rain patches at first, 22 degrees now, humidity at 84%. Absolutely bizarre that he is focusing on this issue. You're listening to the news on RTHK. Welcome back. It's Thursday morning. Listen to Bank Chat on RTHK Radio 3 with Nixie Lam and me, Hugh Chibberton. We're talking about aspects of uh, COVID, uh, the quarantine requirements, the uh, new arrangements uh, for bars. There's uh, some legal battles going on as well that uh, Nixie was just reminding me uh, of. If you've got any thoughts on those, uh, any comments, please share them by uh, emailing backchat at rthk.hk. We'll do our best to read out your messages. Uh, or you can uh, just pick up the phone and call us on 233 or you can also comment on our Facebook page, that's Backchat on RTHK Radio 3, on anything to do with COVID or maybe uh, something that we'll be talking about later, which is a, a new programme uh, launched by the uh, Chief Executive, Get to Know the Election Committee Subsectors. It's broadcast uh, on RTHK, but not produced by RTHK. Uh, did you get a chance to uh, see uh, any of it? Uh, any thoughts? Uh, share them, as I say, by emailing backchat at rthk.hk. We're joined now by Professor Brian King, Professor and Associate Dean the School of Hotel and Tourism Management at the Polytechnic uh, University. wanted to focus in this section of the programme uh, on uh, arrangements for the uh, travel bubble, uh, which uh, caught headlines, caught to attention earlier uh, this week, uh, initially with uh, Singapore. Uh, also reports that negotiations are underway uh, to uh, arrange possible travel to uh, Macau, though that seems a bit of a stop and start uh, arrangement. Uh, Professor King, good morning to you. Hello. 
Hello, Professor King. Morning, Hugh. Morning, Nixie. Morning, morning. Thanks so much indeed for, for joining us. Uh, okay, so, I mean, uh, basically, what's, you know, what do you make of this uh, arrangement uh, with uh, Singapore? Uh, it's not for a while yet, is it? It's, uh, it's another month before it would even uh, come into effect. Uh, it's, I, I suppose you could say it was a fairly cautious kind of uh, uh, arrangement? Yes, you could certainly say that. I mean, if you look at Australia and New Zealand, they, they've already started hundreds of flights a week between uh, different cities, whereas what we're talking about here is two cities, uh, 200 seats a day, and we have to wait four weeks for the start. So it's, uh, it's a very, uh, I'd call it a pilot scheme, really, you know, testing something out new on a very small scale, but we're still getting excited about it. Uh, do you think it's, uh, are you, do you have any concerns about it? Um, well, I think travel bubbles are pretty new in the world of uh, the visitor economy or, or, or tourism. Mm. Um, but look, Australia and New Zealand are moving ahead with this rather large-scale one. They've had a couple of minor setbacks. But look, that's encouraging that their two governments believe they can do something at scale. Mm. Uh, what Hong Kong and Singapore are proposing is something much more cautious. So I don't think the risks are too high. I mean, the, the main risk is that it has to be cancelled because the number of cases across Hong Kong are, are, or, or Singapore, I, I don't think there's going to be problems to do with the travel bubble itself. Um, so, so I'm pretty confident that it's going to progress, particularly on a small scale. Do you foresee some other locations going to open soon? Because I remember last year when they discussed, well, no, no, beginning of this year, they, they, uh, when they discussed this travel bubble, there's like countries on the list where like Japan and, and places like that. I think it's Thailand, more popular, think. Like, yeah, more popular <laughs> places for sure. Hong Kongers to travel. Sure. Look, I, I mean, just before I answer the one on Thailand, I mean, it, it's good. I think we're starting off with two cities where it's not so much leisure travel, because mm. if it's Hong Kong, Thailand, then it's typically Hong Kongers going to Thailand, that the business in the other direction is not so great. So I, I think it's good to start with something that's more of a, a business it's destination. Mm-hmm. Um, let's look to Singapore first. They're a little bit more advanced with these travel bubbles. They've been talking to a lot of people for a lot of time. Mm. And I see the Australian government's um, already saying that Singapore is high on their high on their yes. list. So I, I think that Singapore will move ahead faster than, than uh, Hong Kong. But I think the prospects of having a deal with Australia or, or New Zealand are reasonably high. The minister seems mm. positive about that. And then maybe with one or two Asian countries, uh, yes, that will, that will come in due course as well. So... So, yes, I think a, a lot depends on how the Australia-New Zealand one goes because that's quite <laughs> high risk given the scale of what they're doing. Mm. And it's not just point to point. You know, they, they've got people transiting through Australian yeah. domestic um, airports, which was the problem last time. Mm-hmm. And um, so they're taking a bigger risk than, than Hong Kong and Singapore. And look, I'm pretty confident this is going to go well, but it's just very, very tiny numbers, tiny steps, this one. Uh, what about the vac- vaccination like program? Like a lot of people are still refusing to get jabbed, and uh, is that discouraging the uh, the travel bubble thingy? Uh, well, it's a bit chicken and egg here. I think yeah. <laughs> uh, there's no doubt. I mean, there's about thir- thirteen million plus, you know, from Hong Kong go out on trips every year normally, and now we're down mm. to almost zero. So even if you know a third of the population are reluctant, there's many millions of people that. Um, are just itching to travel. So, so I think it's just a matter of momentum. And 
I think the travel industry is very good at making uh, nice stories about new initiatives. So I'm sure these 200 passengers a day are going to be treated like royalty. Uh, we'll have a lot of media coverage about how what great service they're having, what a wonderful time. Like a and champagne. That will get with people's it. attention. <laughs> It'll start getting everyone talking, and uh, they'll really feel they're missing out. I think yesterday the、uh, travel industry came out with a video encouraging、um, like、industry workers to get jabbed.、Mm-hmm. And、uh, do you do you foresee a lot of them will follow or do just wait?、Um, well, it's a bit of a sensitive issue because you'll always have people that you know cannot get the jab, and、mm. then you'll have another group that are adamant that they don't want the jab. My discussions、yeah. with hotel industry in particular are that. Certainly, the management level supervisors are going in large numbers to get tested. I mean, they're, they're setting an example,、mm-hmm. and then they're hoping that that will have a knock-on effect on the the workforce. So again, I think it's a matter of momentum. Once we have these two hundred visitors. In Hong Kong, in a month's time, these will be our first tourists for a long time. <laughs> They're going to be very special, and then the industry is going to start talking about giving them good service, making them feel welcome. How do you do that? Make them feel safe.、Uh, so I, I think it's a kind of virtuous cycle, and just give people confidence, get them talking positively. And、uh, whilst there won't be enforcement, I think in Hong Kong, I, I think it's going to be voluntary. But you'll get that spirit、um, getting more positive. Okay,、uh, some thoughts from listeners.、Uh, Elango says,、uh, "Good morning, everyone.、Uh, why the fully vaccinated people are required to be tested four times in total for the air travel bubble, both <laughs> pre-departure and arrival tests?、Uh, plus, the also the testing cost per person is approximately two thousand five hundred Hong Kong dollars, which is enormous, and discounting almost costs the same as the return air tickets.、Uh, any thoughts on that?" Yes, it, it seems a bit. We used to use the expression "belt and braces" to keep your trousers up. You've got a belt <laughs> and you've got braces、uh, holding them. It. it、uh, I think that the medical experts are saying, you know, it's even if you've been vaccinated as I, as I have, you still could potentially infect someone. It's not hundred percent.、Mm. So it, it's a it's a bit excessive, I think. But look, the government、uh, and you have to be tested before you leave and when you arrive. Yes, four times. <laughs> so you've got to get four of these things. <laughs>、yeah. um, And、um, look, it's pretty inconvenient.、Uh, it's pretty convenient for many. I mean, I, I was in a place that had a case even after I'd been vaccinated. I got a message on my Leave Home Safe app.、Mm. It said, "Please go and get tested," which I did just round the corner from PolyU. It was very quick, and you know, I was back in my office within ten minutes. It, it was pretty straightforward. But I think for the travel bubble, this. Four test requirement is is pretty strong. It's very cautious、uh, approach. And, and you and as the as Alanga says, you've got to pay for it. So that's going to add a lot to the costs, isn't it? And presumably in any other sort of future arrangements, there's also going to be a big extra cost with all this testing. Yes, I, look, I think over time that that is going to fade away a little bit as the price becomes more sensitive. You know, there's not enough、uh, supply at the moment, so there's. All these flights were very quickly snapped up,、mm. so the, the price is not currently an issue with only 200、uh, seats a day. But once it gets to a thousand seats, two thousand, then the price will start to come into play. And so, I, I, so I think maybe the 
test required. Maybe it then can become the rapid test rather than the PCR, mm-hmm. and so that will reduce the costs. Uh, so th- that's what I see happening over time. But at the moment, it's really just a pilot. So everyone's being ultra cautious at the moment. Mm. Uh, Dan on uh, Facebook says an excellent summary and all the details uh, of the air travel bubble can be found here at the Civil Aviation Authority of Singapore website, and he has a, a link to that. Dan, thank you, thank you very much indeed for that, Professor King. What's happening in other parts of the world? Uh, you know, uh, you mentioned Australia and uh, New Zealand. Are there the similar kind of arrangements or contrasting arrangements being done between other other countries, other venues? Well, I, I saw that. Um, I think it's uh, the UK that's opening up to visitors from uh, the US that have been vaccinated. I hope hope I've got that right. Uh, Europe's been very on again, off again. I mean, it's been a bit chaotic um, over time in Europe with, you know, Spain opening up, closing. Then you had the Baltics travel bubble, which was launched with great fanfare and then didn't work out. So Europe's been uh, found it really hard to get the momentum. Mm. And there's still discussion about is the summer season going to to work adequately. Look, the U.S. seems to be getting some good momentum. Um, the, the borders are just between states there, of course. But, um, you know, announcements that people can go outdoors without wearing masks in the U- U.S. from CDC. So the, the U.S. is opening up. And then at the opposite extreme, you've got India, where very serious situation. And that's within our own region of Asia. So that's just a reminder that uh, while Singapore and Hong Kong, we can, you know, move ahead uh, within our own region, there's, there's big challenges. And that then spills across into countries neighboring uh, India. Maldives a little bit threatened by that um, problem situation in India. Mm. Uh, Anthony also says, why in Singapore we need to separate infections from community and migrants? How about in the US and UK? How many non-traceable infections and migrant infections? That's uh, from uh, Anthony. I think we've got Dan on the line now. Dan, good morning. Good morning, Hugh. Yeah. And uh, uh, <clears throat> this topic is near and dear to me because my wife and son and other relatives are in Singapore and I haven't been able to see them for a year and a half. Hmm. Um, I've been chasing the travel bubble since last November. Uh, I was able to get a flight first on Scoot, and they they moved me over to Singapore Airlines to get me in the bubble. It didn't happen. In January, I rebooked for May, and I was close, but early May, so then I rebooked for June. Um, So I was delighted that the bubble has hopefully finally opened up. However, as they say, the devil's in the details I've been reading through the information from that you uh, indicated on Facebook. And, you know, most of us think of bubbles as something that is uh, simple, something that is flexible, and something that is fun. When I think of a bubble, that's what I think of. But this bubble to Singapore is none of those things. <laughs> it's very complicated. There are a lot of fine details. Uh, if Samantha's listening in the newsroom, she might want to read through this herself because I think there's a lot of things people don't know about the bubble that could be problematic. For example, it's not really uh, 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 free of a uh, of getting uh, put in in a hotel under your without your permission uh, under a quarantine in the beginning because when you arrive in Singapore, you have to take a private taxi or a private car taxi. You have to prearrange a hotel that one of the hotels they approve of. And you have to stay in the hotel one or two days to wait for your PCR test. Hmm. So 
I wish we had a Singapore representative to explain why it takes so long in Singapore to to get a PCR test back, but that's a fact. Uh, and there's there's other issues um, related to their app. For example, you've got to load their app, their Trace Together app, which means you probably should get a SIM card in Hong Kong for Singapore before you leave. You have to have at least thirty thousand Sing dollars worth of travel insurance to cover your middle costs if you if you have to get uh, go to the hospital. So it's on and on and on, and uh, it's it's not going to be a simple, easy thing to do. Mm. Any thoughts on that, for the King? Yes, I, I mean, I agree with all these concerns. There's a lot of people out there. Uh, I've been separated from my loved ones from a long, for a long time as well. We're, we all really want to get back together with our families. And, yes, similarly, I, I looked at all the requirements, and it's a very daunting list. Uh, all I can say is because the number of seats is so small, the, the people, uh, travellers, are willing to put up with all that inconvenience. But uh, it's... It, it, it's a very long list, and uh, I think it's good to share with listeners some of these challenges that um, the travellers are going to experience when they arrive at the destination. Well, that, and even before, even before you, you depart, there's a whole bunch of hoops you have sure. to jump through yeah. uh, to even before you even go to the airport. In fact, I would heartily recommend if there are any representatives of Cathay Pacific or Singapore Airlines listening, <laughs> come up with a checklist for passengers. Hmm. Come up with a checklist that they can go through. Tick, 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 tick. You've done all these things because one little thing, one little omission, hmm. and the whole trip might be off. Hmm. Uh, I think, Dan, you were, I seem to remember you were talking about travelling to China. You've got business interests there or something, and you were hoping to do that uh, some time ago. How, how's that going? Are you hopeful there still? Well, Hugh, I don't know if you remember, but didn't Carrie Lam announce a few weeks ago that uh, the earliest would be able to do that is in September, hmm. and that the absolute latest would be the middle of October? So we're just waiting okay. for September and October. But yeah, absolutely, I, I went to went to uh, one of my factories yesterday, in fact, in uh, Shenzhen, and uh, did my work via so, Skype. Wait, 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 wait. How did you get there? Via Skype. Oh, I see. Okay. <laughs> yeah, but guess what? They're not wearing masks, and they haven't been wearing masks for for almost a year. They stopped wearing masks many places in China back in July. Or I remember I was shocked July of last year. One of my factories, the workers, as I was checking radio products, they weren't wearing masks, and they had to wear them. I think again for a short time when there's a flare up in Guangdong, and mm. but they haven't been wearing masks up there for months and months and months. Yeah, I, I, that's because they're worried about us. Not that yeah. we're worried about them. May, for sure. But anyway, my, my encouragement to anybody that's thinking about the Singapore travel bubble is make sure you read the fine print, understand all the details, <laughs> follow the instructions like they heartily requ request or suggest that you uh, pre-book your COVID testing, yeah, for PCR tests, all of this. Otherwise, one little thing and there might be big disappointment. So people are not really going to travel for pleasure. It's going to be... Like, like business. because of business, oh, yeah. or because I, I was looking forward to it. I mean, I really want to see my wife and son, but yeah. you know, now I'm thinking, do I want to go through all these hoops just for a few days down in Singapore, or should I wait a little longer? We'll see. Right. Okay. Well, uh, Dan, many thanks for for calling and thanks for posting that information uh, on the uh, uh, back chat uh, Facebook page. Uh, Jim uh, Jim H says coming home next month. Now I don't. I'm not sure where that is, uh, Jim H. So do you mean you're coming to Hong Kong or or leaving Hong Kong? Anyway, maybe from Singapore. 
Uh, yeah. Okay. Jim H <laughs> says, coming home next month, I will have two inoculations plus a test in order to board the aircraft, then tested upon arrival Hong Kong. Uh, will this reduce my quarantine uh, time? Uh, I don't think that does make any difference to the quarantine time, uh, as far as I know. Uh, no, the inoculations don't um, at the moment don't make any difference to that. Uh, the vaccinations, uh, is my understanding, uh, Jim. Um, anyway, uh, Professor King, thank you very much indeed for uh, joining us this morning. Uh, uh, Professor Brian King is a prof- the associate dean of the School of Hotel and Tourism Management at the Polytechnic University. Thank you very much indeed for joining us. I wanted to turn uh, finally today to uh, a new program which has appeared on uh, RTHK uh, TV uh, schedules. Uh, although it's uh, not produced by uh, by uh, RTHK, uh, it's uh, called "Get to Know the Election Committee Subsectors." Uh, I think there will be uh, uh, twenty four programs. Is it? Um, uh, they feature the uh, the chief executive uh, in conversation with uh, people uh, from different committee uh, subsectors. Uh, as I say, the first two programs uh, aired yesterday. Uh, Chip Cho, uh, social commentator, joins us now. Chip, good morning to you. Hello, good morning. Uh, what did you make of the uh, the TV programs? Did you watch both of them? No, no, I I, I haven't watched them, but I was told that it it, it, it wasn't very interesting. I don't know, <laughs> maybe, not, maybe all my friends are prejudiced. There's nothing wrong for a chief executive uh, to host a TV program. I remember Chris Patton uh, used to host a radio for classical music uh, sharing program, and he was also a, 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 a something like a DJ or whatever. You know, you used to hear his voice on every mo- uh, Sunday morning before I find a few uh, lovely pieces of Mozart or, or or Beethoven came up. But for but for uh, uh, Carrie Lamb, uh, the timing is rather interesting because she's got rid of a few uh, very popular. Uh, radio uh, RTHK programs and fired a few uh, uh, very uh, 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 very popular staff, right? And uh, and she's doing a TV program instead by herself. It's just like say a secretary for education from the British government has just announced to ban Shakespeare because. Uh, Shakespeare is politically incorrect. She, uh, he is racist. Uh, the Taming of the Shoe is sexist. Othello is racist. But instead, the Secretary for Education has written a few plays. And he made these plays uh, mandatory uh, as a part of the curriculum of English literature. Well, in that case, you must, you must do better than Shakespeare in order not to be laughed at by all the English literature teachers in the country and uh, as well as the students. So it's a very bold, it's a very daring, it's a very daring decision. Well, I hope, uh, I wish her well, and I certainly, after this program, get on the internet and try to watch it to prove that my prejudiced friends are wrong. Okay, some some comment from a listener. Uh, Jay says, Carrie Lam TV show, get RTHK to arrange a face-to-face with our man Steve Vines and Shigani and a few listener opinions. No holds barred. That would be interesting. And where is Steve's spot today? 
uh, Alan says, uh, Backchat, a daily two-minute hate was enough for Big Brother. Carrie needs two hours, question mark. Does the government really have the power just to commandeer two hours a day of RTHK every day? So I'm sure the new management are only too happy to fill the time with pro-government pablum after cancelling any actual news programmes that might reveal embarrassing facts. Doesn't the government have its own information services to spread its propaganda? That uh, is uh, from uh, Alan. Um, uh, did you see them, Nixie? I haven't seen it, Yeah. So I'm gonna take my time to look at it. Today. I, I, I did look at I did look at it a little bit, uh, and Chip, one thing that struck me was that it's a, it's a very kind of a, a minimalistic uh, production. I mean, it's two chairs, and they've got those pull-up banners that you find on the street, you know, uh, with the with the with the name of the program on it. That they they cost about one hundred twenty dollars each or something like that, and that's the set. Um, uh, so it looks like it's sort of, um, and as I say, she's talking, she's just simply talk in a chair talking to, to another person. Uh, so it's, it's kind of quite a low key production. Any thoughts on that, Chip? Yeah. Many, uh, many people in Hong Kong don't think, uh, broadcasting, uh, a very, uh, a very sophisticated profession. They tend, well, she may tend to think that. If you could, uh, if you could, if you, if, if you could, if one could talk, you could be a broadcaster. If one could write, you could be a columnist. Right? And that's the kind of uh, uh, perception held by many elites or professionals in Hong Kong. I've come across this because uh, because of some flaws with education in primary school or secondary school. If you do well in classes, you're encouraged to do science subjects. You end up as a student at the medical school from the University of Hong Kong. Only those who don't, who are considered less intelligent, right, end up uh, uh, in a uh, in the arts classes uh, from the secondary school, right? And that's the that's the kind of this I wouldn't say discrimination, prejudices held by many uh, parents and uh, elites for generations. So I don't think she, uh, she, she, I, she might have been uh, ill-advised by her advisors. Uh, she has done a couple of, uh, of uh, interviews with, uh, with uh, a few of her own guys, right? I think the convener of the executive council, and then she must have been told by her um, by her, uh, by her friends, that oh, ma'am, you've done an excellent job. I mean, you were, you were definitely better than Steve Wines and Michael Giugatti. You know, they talk rubbish, and please, you don't do more. I mean, I love it. People look forward to watching more. Maybe out of that, she, uh, she, she gains their confidence. I don't know. What about the uh, information on the election committee subsidiaries? I mean, the, the program is, is that. Do you think it's a necessary steps to make some introductions to so people understand who they are and what they represent and stuff? I've been watching enough so-called press conferences held by Carrie Lam and her hygiene uh, secretary, Right. I, I've worked for radio before, and I think uh, well, the prime importance for a radio or TV host 
you've got to be entertaining, monotonous uh, lecturing, and plain uh, teaching uh, are no good. Is propaganda. It makes people turn away. Don't think, uh, I don't think people with a remote uh, control machine in their hand would love enjoying watching uh, that kind of face or listening to that voice for more than two minutes. I mean, you, you, we are all living in the real world, right? We all live in the real world. If I talk, if I, uh, if, I mean, you, you, you wouldn't keep coming back to me, you know, back chat. Uh, one, once a month, if I if I talk rubbish, if I talk uh, if uh, if I say something very boring, you know, right? You, you come to me because I sound very cynical, I sound funny or entertaining at least, right? Although my views are somehow outrageous, I think she needs to, to, to attend some broadcasting. Anyone, anyone needs to attend some broadcasting now. Um, uh, uh, courses before getting on the TV show, or whatever you know. Don't think that is 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 a monkey business. I mean, right? it's a profession. It's a mm. profession. Yeah, I mean, a lot of uh, you know, a lot of the government supporters have said that uh, you know it's a weakness of the of, of the of the government and selling their story. And the police have often said this, for example, that they they weren't able to get their story out in in, in twenty nineteen and so on. And you hear this from executive councillors and mm. uh, and others. It's a very common thing. Do you think Do you think that's true? Do you think it's a question of uh, well, lacking PR skills or something like that? I was a bit surprised because they are supposed to be patriotic. They are supposed to be loyal to their big sister. Why on earth did they say that? I very much enjoy watching PK-10. At least, I wouldn't say he, he talks like a Jack Nicholson or whatever. I mean, he did talk like a very threatening big brother, you know. Right? He talks like some, you know, uh, big character in a Martin Scorsese movie. You know, I yes, she she has got something to learn from from him, right? And all these supporters, haven't, haven't they been instructed by Beijing to support Gary Lam? She's right all the time. And I'm a bit surprised. I wonder what C.Y. Leung would, uh, would, uh, would add a, a, a like emoji on that, on, on, on her program. He's supposed to. They are, they all are, aren't they? Right, and uh, Carrie Lam, I think, I think apparently, uh, she's trying to get herself re-elected as part of her campaign, smile campaign or PR campaign to, uh, uh, to get another term. So I think her supporters should have got that message now. Okay, well, Chip, just one more comment. This is from Andrew Kay, who says, Why are you asking your guest to comment when, by his own admission, he has not seen it? Journalism 101. That's uh, from... Uh, I have seen enough Carrie Lamb talk in the past four years. Oh, it's a different program. <laughs> no, it's the same person. Right? <laughs> it's the same person. And I'm the broadcaster. Do trust me. Okay, Chip. Thank you very much indeed for joining thank us, uh, Chip Cho, the uh, social commentator, uh, on the uh, subject of uh, some other uh, issues. Um, let's see. Derek says, uh, "I expect the costs will leave the most unable to take advantage of the Singapore-Hong Kong travel bubble." I was surprised by the announcement of Carrier's new TV show, but in retrospect, I should have expected it. Despite what I've written in past emails, I don't really, uh, I don't really expect Carrier to ever appear on Backchat again despite
like Hugh's valiant efforts. I was just trying to make a funny. It's from uh, uh, Derek. Uh, and uh, James uh, O says, uh, it was gr with great irritation that I listened to uh, Steve Vines on Backchat this morning. That's uh, yesterday. He was rude and condescending towards your guest, Barrister Lawrence Ma. Mr Ma was simply saying that Hong Kong Bar Association Chairman Paul Harris should focus on professional matters. Ma's view was what, that while Mr Harris is chairman, he should not comment publicly on political issues, lest he attract criticism and mire his association in controversy. Many would agree with Mr Ma's view, but clearly Mr Vines did not, and so we were subjected to Vines' supercilious tones while he put words into Mr Ma's mouth to put him down and make him look foolish. RTHK is a government department funded by taxpayers. Your listeners expect Backchat hosts to be professional, courteous and impartial. A talk show hosts like Mr Vines should listen and respectfully challenge all opinions and refrain from acting out their own agenda to put down those who don't suit their views. Uh, we were subjected to and demoralised by Mr Vine's negativity and sarcasm on the Morning Brew show. Uh, please don't subject us to the same on Backchat. That comes from uh, James O. Well, I'm sorry you were uh, demoralised. Uh, uh, James, uh, as mentioned uh, previously, uh, the co-hosts are not expected to be uh, impartial. Uh, that's why we have uh, next Nixie uh, on today. Uh, Mike in an email says, repeated PCR testing would make sense if the PCR testing of healthy people was what it was designed for. It's not, but we continue to subsidise these people with the PCR patients. And John says, for a fully vaccinated person to use the Singapore travel bubble, in addition to the four redundant COVID tests, one is obliged to download multiple government apps and fill out multiple online forms and purchase health insurance. This is the produce of two nanny state interfering governments during the bureaucratically simple thing to stacking their pay requirements on top of one another. There is no thought only robots moving in completely predictable ways. That comes uh, from John. Thank you very much indeed for all the many uh, comments and uh, emails uh, today. Leaving now with the weather, many cloudy, a couple of rain patches at first and sunny intervals during the day. Temperatures up to 28 degrees, 23 degrees. The latest readings, relative humidity, is now at 77%. If you are eligible to register as electors in geographical or functional constituencies, submit application by the 2nd of May. You should provide true and accurate information. Provide phone number and email address for easier contact by the Registration and Electoral Office. You can submit the application by post, email or fax or online. If you receive a letter for address checking, reply promptly. For inquiries, call 